Let's look at the book of, uh, actually two places I want to look at is uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3 as well as John chapter 1. So if you'd turn to both of those, we won't spend very much time in, in 1 Timothy though. So I'd like to turn to both, however, and read them. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and John chapter 1. Verse Timothy 3 and verse number, verse number 16. One of, the great, uh, one of the great verses in the Bible. This is one of them. Also, one of the verses in the Bible, some of you might be aware, is that is very controversial on the subject of Bible versions. All right? First Timothy chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse number 16. The Bible says this, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Now, when we, just, just to pause there a second, when we think of the word godly, we think of, usually think of the conduct of a person who is, you know, who, who, of a believer, right? Someone who lives godly, someone who does the right thing, follows God, and that kind of thing. That is obviously not what's being spoken of here. This is the godliness in this uh, in this uh, verse, I guess in some ways related to that, but this is a this is a, a verse that's. I mean, there's a lot in this verse, and uh, to be honest with you, I'm kind of I've been studying this verse most of uh, for actually a couple of weeks, and I still don't feel like I have a a real grasp on everything that's that's in here. Um, so I'm just give you the kind of the skimmings <laughs> off the top. Godliness is, is, is anything that is related to God Himself. That's, that's what it's talking about. And in this, if I can kind of give you an interpretation of what I think this is talking about, this is, if you want to kind of summarize the message, what, what is Christianity about? What is Bible Christianity all about? Jesus. It's, this is it. It's encapsulated in a few portions of Scripture. 1 Corinthians 15, we talk about the gospel. But this is one of them. This is what it's about, okay? This is what it's about. And there is no question that what, what we're about to read here is, is not something that's simple to understand. But just because something can't be understood by human logic and rationale doesn't mean it's not true. In fact, these truths in this verse are, they transcend human understanding. Like we can just, we can grasp the, the basics and it, maybe the essentials of it, but the, to, to sound the depths of what is being spoken of here and what God has done is not something we can do. It's not. So it's a great mystery. It's a great mystery. And there's, that's why it says without controversy. There's no question about this. Nobody, this is, it should not surprise us that the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ is something that is profound. It shouldn't, it shouldn't surprise us. It is a great mystery. And the, the idea of a mystery is something that before was hidden, but has now been revealed. But this is a, a great mystery, not only in its importance, obviously, but also in, in, in how 
you know, how, if I can say complex this, this truth is. You know, there's always issues and questions about, you know, who Jesus is and, and the people argue back and forth about whether Jesus is God. And we spent time last Sunday night talking about that question. Of course, in, as far as from a scriptural perspective, it is settled. And we'll see more of that this morning. But that doesn't make it easy. <laughs> that doesn't make it simple to understand how God was manifest in the flesh. So that's why the verse starts with, great is the mystery of godliness. It says, God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. You, you have kind of a package of all of these things, not just in the life of Christ, but these things associated with Christ, who is our message, who is our truth, the truth, who is our life, right? He is, he is, the, the, he is the star, right? We just sang about that. He is the star around which all of, all of the lives of God's people orbit. He is everything. He is, the Bible says, all in all. That's what Jesus is to be to us. He is, but that is what we should understand Him to be. And that, this is the, a summary, an encapsulation of Christ and His work among us. What is the core of our, our faith? This is it. This is it. God came to us. And not only God came to us, all the resulting benefits that, that came of that incarnation. It's a great mystery. Now, there is a controversy. I'll just say this, and then we'll pray and get into the message in John chapter 1. But in that word, God, most other, most other Bible versions that you read will not say God was manifest in the flesh, although the people that use those versions will acknowledge that this is talking about God manifest in the flesh. And the difference is in two little letters, two little letters, that, uh, that, but we believe, we are persuaded that when it says God, it means God, and God should be there, no matter what, what uh, others might say. And so this is, a, this is the truth of who Jesus is. Jesus, if you read the, if you read the grammar of this verse... This verse obviously is talking about Jesus, right? It's obviously, you think about he was justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, received up into glory, etc. We know it's talking about Jesus, but the name Jesus is not in this verse. If you read the grammar, the grammar of this verse says, God was manifest in the flesh. God was justified in the Spirit. Right? Is this not what it says? God was seen of angels. God was preached unto the Gentiles. God was believed on in the world. God was received up into glory. Now there's a perfect example in which that can only refer to the Lord Jesus. He is God. He is God. Let's pray together. Our Father, thank you for the chance to meet together. And uh, I thank you for those that are here, those that are, are listening in as well, that can't be among us today because of illness and things. Lord, please, we just pray that you'd help us to uh, have one mind and heart to, to uh, focus 
upon your word with open hearts for the things that you would have us to learn. Guide our service. It wouldn't be the things necessarily that I have prepared, but it would be just exactly what you, the Spirit of God, want us to to focus on. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help your people if there be one among us that is yet without Christ, though they might profess to know Christ. They might have the form of religion, but they do not know you. I pray that you would prick the heart of that person. Lord, bless our time together. We just want your will to be done, nothing else. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1 is, I guess, a, what I would call a partial interpretation of 1 Timothy 3. In other words, it covers a lot of the same ground. That's why I want to look at John 1, verses 1 through 18. The Bible says in John 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Amen. Now notice, it's the verse, uh, verse 1 starts in the same way as what? Genesis 1.1. There's a reason for that because this is presenting the eternality of the Word. The fact that before there was anything that was created, the Word with a capital W, referring to a person, the Word already was. Not that He was created. We know that from verse number 3. But it says, uh, it says here, verse number 2 and 3, the same was in the beginning with God. Talking about the Word. All things were made by Him. That's the Word. That's how we know the Word is a person. And without Him was not anything made that was made. You know, for those, again, we, we covered this last Sunday night, talking about Arianism. This idea that Jesus is not God, but only the Son of God. That He was a created being. The problem is verse 3. Jesus Himself created everything that was created. Amen. So He Himself cannot be a created being, for He created everything that is created. Amen. We're just pointing this out as we go, just as a, an appendix from our last study on this. But notice in verse 1, it says, You have the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Again, great is the mystery of godliness. This is, we understand it, maybe on an intellectual level, but how can you be with someone and yet be someone simultaneously? But yet God is. That's what the verse says. The verse says that very thing. The verse says that very thing. So we, at some point, when it comes to the doctrine of the Trinity, we must, we must draw a line and say, look, I don't have to understand it. I, I understand what the Bible says, and I believe it. Amen. Okay? For those that get off and, and get messed up on the doctrine of the Trinity... Or the doctrine which, listen, just as a practical note, the doctrine of the Trinity is really not about the Trinity. It is ever and always about Jesus. The doctrine of Trinity is not about the Holy Spirit or the God the Father. Any attack on the doctrine of the Trinity is really an attack upon Christ Himself and who He is. That's the bottom line. All right? This is an established doctrine in Scripture. The Bible says that this is the truth. Okay? So let's just move on from that. But we acknowledge it's a mystery. The Word, who is Jesus Christ, was with God and yet was God. Okay, we're moving on. Verse 4. In Him was life. 
and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, called to mind, especially at this time of year, that even John's birth, right, was a, was a miraculous birth, not like the birth of Christ, but his birth was miraculous in that Elizabeth and Zechariah were well past the age of having children, and she was barren to boot. But yet John's birth was announced before he was conceived, and John was named before he was... In other words, he had a mission from God from before he was, he was conceived. Verse 7, The same, that's John, came for a witness to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of, the light, of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of Him and cried, saying, This was He of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me. Notice, for He was before me. Okay? Verse 16. And of His fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses. We've been studying that, have, have we not, on Wednesday nights. But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. Now, first thing I want to look at is the world. Because in this passage, you see a number of times the world is alluded to or mentioned directly. You first see it in verse number 5. Or actually, verse, number, uh, verse 4 and 5 go together. They say, in Him was life. Now, follow, follow the grammar here. Follow, it, follow what's being spoken of here. In Him, in the Word, was life. And the life was the light of men. So you have this connection between light and life. Light and life. Not the same word, not even the same con concept, but they're connected, all right? Listen to this verse, John 8, 12. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Okay, so you see the connection here, also in John 8. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, verse 5, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. All right, so we see that the we see first that when you see the word light, L-I-G-H-T, it is a reference to life. Okay? That is the life in verse 4. That, that the Word had in Himself. Nobody, nobody created God and breathed into God's nostrils the breath of life to give that which was dead or that which lacked life, life. 
God has life in himself. The Lord Jesus Christ is no no exception because he is God, very God. He has life in himself. He says that. He said that in the Gospels. So when you see the word light, you should think life, L-I-F-E. Okay, now look at verse 5 to understand. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. So we know that the darkness is just not talking about the idea of darkness because the darkness did something in verse 5. It, it comprehended not. So the darkness is talking about people. Okay, what is that talking about? What is the, the darkness that is referring to people in verse 5? What is that referring to? That is referring to people, just like, remember, light equals life. So if you don't have light, that means you're what? You're dark, right? It's dark, right? Absence of light, darkness. So the darkness in verse 5 are people that have no life. This is what is described of the world in verse 5. And the light shineth in darkness. So when Jesus came into the world, you think about light. There's several instances of light mentioned, we won't go into those, in Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2. Remember that? The star that the, the wise men observed and the wise men that appeared over the place where Jesus, uh, where Jesus' house was, where he, where he dwelt. That was a, a light, right, that shined in. There was light with the announcement of the angels to the shepherds, right? There was glory, there was light that was shown. That's one reason why it's important that Jesus was born at night, because that's when the light is visible. It's, a, it's all a, a, a very beautiful picture of a dawning of the Son of, the, the Son of God, the Son of Righteousness, is what the Old Testament says, where light shines in, into darkness. The darkness, though, refers to people who do not have life. And therein is, a, is an important point. It's an important point. Because most people think that if their heart is beating and they're breathing, that they're alive. But that's not what the Bible says. You have, if that's the case, you have, we have physical life. And that's, of course, precious and valuable. But a person who has physical life can be just as dead as someone in the, in the graveyard spiritually. The Bible describes it as being cut off from the life of God. In other words, you have physical life, your, your heart's beating, but there is, there is no connection with God at all. There's no relationship. There's no communication. There is a huge chasm between you and God because He is life and you are dead. You are without Him and therefore you are without life. This is what it means to be dark, to be darkness in verse 5. Now, I could, I could read John 3. In fact, I, I'd like you to, we're already here, so look at John 3 if you would. Verse number 19. The Bible says this. Uh, look at verse 18. This is important. This is important to understand. He, verse 18, He that believeth on Him, that's the Son of God, He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned Already. Now, what is condemnation? Condemnation is in the state of being judged as guilty. 
it's a place of in, being in danger of peril. It is, it is a judgment now. To be in a state of condemnation is extremely dangerous. Is extremely dangerous. God is not just going to overlook that. He's not. And this says, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. So we know that those that do not believe in Christ are indeed condemned. They do not have hope of eternal life. You might say they are judicially, judicially guilty. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Verse 19. Where does this condemnation come from? And this is the condemnation. That light is coming to the world and men loved darkness. That's what we're reading, right? Men loved darkness rather than light. Key, because their deeds were evil. Men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Why are men so averse to the Lord Jesus? They are averse to the Lord Jesus because He is light. And they are dark. It's that simple. What are you talking about? I'm talking about men live in sin and they love their sin. And Jesus has come to shine a light on that sin. Let me explain something to you. You say, well, Jesus came 2,000 years ago. What what about now in 2023? That's you. That's me. You see, when Jesus, He came into the world as a light of the world, but He's gone now, and He left us to be the light of the world. Ye are the, what? Light of the world. We, God's people, are the light of the world. And the light shines just like Jesus himself did, shines upon the darkness, and the darkness just doesn't like it. That's what the verse said in chapter 1, verse 5, the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. In other words, that comprehend is related to the word apprehend. In other words, it's, it's like they don't get it, but the reason they don't get it is because they don't want to get it. You see what I'm saying? It's not that it's too hard to understand who Jesus is, what He came to do. It's that we really don't want anything to interrupt our life of sin and pleasure. That's what the darkness wants. Now, I want to say this, and I, I I don't want anybody to be confused. We read about, you know, down here in verse number 10, it's going to bring up the word world. He was in the world. The world knew him not. So we're talking about the world. The darkness is referring to mankind, which is what makes up the world. But when I say the world, when I say darkness, I don't want you to think about them. I don't want you to think about them. And say, well, that's those people, not we people. I want you, when when I say darkness, I want you to think, That's me. That's me. Because that is this description of the world that the Lord gives in John 1 is talking about every one of us. It's not dividing us up into, well, this group and that group and, well, us and them and they're condemned, but we're good. No, no. Every one of us came into this world dark, right? You understand? Dark. 
There's no good in us. There's no good to boast of. You know, even, even as a little child, those of you who, have, who maybe were saved when you were young, or maybe you have children who were saved when they were young, even as a little child who comes to the Lord Jesus, there, there is that darkness that is present in them. Little, little dark spots. They resist the Lord. They turn Him away. You say, uh, uh, an eight-year-old child? Absolutely. That does happen. How many of you as a child can, can testify that I know because I did that. That was me when I was a kid. Yeah. See, this is not talking about those people out there. This is talking about us. Have you ever come to understand? Have you ever acknowledged? Have you ever confessed to the reality that you're in darkness? Have you done that? You know, verse 5 of John 1 says this, And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. It, you know, as I said, it did not want the darkness, the, the world did not want to understand who Jesus was. They did not want to interact with Christ. They did not want to hear what they, He had to say. Why? Because He was light, and they were content to continue in the things they loved, the sin, which was, which was in John 3. This is the condemnation. Men love darkness rather than light. They wanted to continue in those things that brought about their condemnation. Yes. To this day, many people do not come to the light because they know that the ugliness of the sin in their life will be exposed. That's what light does. And so they don't. So they don't. They remain in the dark. But it's certainly not because God did not reveal Himself to them. To the contrary. What else do we see the world doing? Verse number 10 says this, He was in the world, talking about the Word still, and the world was made by Him, and the world knew Him not. They did not recognize Him. They did not know who He was. To this day, we've studied this, and I know I've, I've harped on this a little bit, so just please forgive me, but the question of who Jesus is is still a raging question in this world today. To us, it's settled. There's no question, right? To us, it's settled. But in this world, everyone outside of here that doesn't know the Lord, not that you know the Lord because you're in this building, but just to clarify, everyone outside of the body of Christ that, that has believed in Christ, there's always this question of who Jesus is. Whether he, should be, whether he should be heeded, whether His words matter, whether He is the Lord, whether He is truly the Savior. You ask a Muslim, you ask, ask a Buddhist, you ask different people of different religions, everyone has a different idea. There's always the mystery. Who is Jesus? Because the reality is, if He is who He says He is, as we see in John 1, there is, only, there is only one choice we have, which is to yield to Him, to bow. So they don't know Him. They keep Him at a distance, you see. You know, I don't know Him, but I don't want to know Him. You see, that's, that's where we're really getting to where the rubber meets the road with what people feel, what people think. They knew Him not. They knew him not. Matthew eleven twenty seven. 27, listen to this verse if you would. Jesus said, 
All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. You know what that shows? There's no way to know God apart from Jesus, the Word. In fact, that's exactly why he came. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 16 says this, that speaking of God, he says, who only, hath, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen, nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. You know, to most people, to most people, God is far off. God is distant. You know, even to people that, listen, even people that go to church, that have religion, that, you know, they're at, church, they're at church right now, they're at church on Sunday, they'll be at church on Christmas Day or whatever. To them, even though they might pray, even though they might read the Bible, to them, God is distant, unapproachable. They don't know Him. You see what I'm saying? They know of God, but He's, he, he's way off. But Jesus came that we might know God and be brought to Him, close to Him, to the way you know a person up close. Like, how many of you know Donald Trump? How many of you know Joe Biden? Of course, all of us know. Raise your hands. All of us know these people. Not one of us doesn't know these people, but how many of you know Joe Biden? How many of you know Donald Trump? Nobody does. None of us. Not one. Well, I met, I met, I met, so I met Tim Scott. I met Lindsey Graham, or I met whoever. Okay, you don't know him. The only thing I know about Tim Scott is he doesn't drink, and I'm glad of that. Amen. We went to his office when we were in Washington several years ago and tried to meet up with Tim Scott and meet him and shake his hand and meet him, and he wasn't in the office, but his, his aide told us that he, if he were here, he would have a drink with you. And he's like, what? Sweet tea. <laughs> but I don't know Tim Scott. So that's the way most people know God. He's, he's a, he's a far-off Washington politician. But they don't know God personally. They can't, you know, because there's too much in their life that would have to be, you know, just upheaved, overturned. Too much sin they love. But that's exactly why Jesus came. Verse 11 says this, He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. Received Him not. Having been offered, right? Having been offered the truth, having been offered the Lord, the Word, that's what this is talking about, rejected. This is the world. This is you and me at some point in our life. Now, what did we see the world? We also see the incarnation of Christ. Look at, let's look at it very quickly. Again, verse number 10. He was in the world, notice that, he was in the world, and the world was made by him. Imagine that. God made the world. The Word, verse 3, all things are made by him. That's talking about the Word, the same one that was made flesh in verse 14. The Word, this is a reference clearly to Jesus, all right? Jesus made the world, and the world 
and, and yet, even though he made the world, he was in the world. Now, here, here's this, this, uh, this idea we have to understand. If God is going to create the universe, God can't be a part of the universe. He can't need the universe to create the universe, right? This is a point of apologetics, that God is transcendent. That means he is outside of his creation. That's what that means. You can use that next time you talk to somebody, all right? God is outside of his creation. Nobody created God. He is outside of it. He doesn't need the world because he existed before there ever was the world or the universe. But yet, even though he created it, he came into his creation. Now, how did he do that? Great is the mystery of godliness. He comes into his creation and becomes part of his creation. Look at verse 11. Similarly, he says, he came unto his own. He came unto his own by virtue of his creation. Some people think this is a reference to, uh, to all of the created beings, like that which belonged to, the, to God, his own. Or some people think it's referring to the Jews, but either way, he came unto his own. In other words, he came among those that belonged and were property, his own property, those that he had created. He closed the distance between himself and his creation. You see what I'm saying? You didn't do that. We talk about the senator, you know, how we know a senator, but we don't really know the senator as an example. We can go to Washington, but you're not going to have the senator come to your house. But that's exactly what God did. He came. He closed the distance between himself and his creation. We could not do that, so he came to us. He came to us. You think of the sheep, the parable of the lost sheep in, in the book of Luke, right? The sheep wanders off and is off, you know, then you got the 99, then you have the one that wanders off. Now we know the Lord in that context, the shepherd who, who pictures the Lord, he goes to find the lost sheep, right? But think about it from the perspective of the, sh- of the sheep. If you were the sheep and you were lost, what would you say? We have so many comedians in our congregation. From the sheep's perspective, we would say the shepherd came to me. Right? Not the sheep returned, but the shepherd came. He came Unto his own. The truth is that we will not come to him. That's what I'm trying to get across. The world that we talked about a minute ago does not want to come to God. That's why he went to them. The world doesn't love God. That's why he he loves them. See, so many people, so many of us have had this idea that somehow... That, that we have a heart for God and an affinity for God and we sought after God. God came to us. Amen. The only reason we had any inclination to go toward the Lord is because He's pulling us. It's because He's drawing us. There's nothing in us that wants Him. We respond to His work in us. But He's the one that does it. We did. Who, what was it saying? Um, I think it's in Ephesians. Who shall say, I will ascend to heaven where God is? No, 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 no. You don't ascend. Jesus came down. You can't ascend to heaven to go where God is. That's the picture. Even if we could, we wouldn't. So he came to us. He came unto his own. 
Verse 14, look at that. And the Word was made flesh. Hallelujah. And the Word was made flesh. Jesus, that's the Word, right? The Word in verse 1, who's the with God and was God, who created all things that were created, He made them, who had life in Himself. Look, that, there's only one person in the, if I can say in or outside of the universe, that that matches that description. Who's that? That is the true and the living God. In verse 14, that very person was made flesh. He took our nature upon Himself. Right? Flesh. Flesh and blood. He subjected Himself to our limitations and He subjected Himself to our temptations. Nobody can look at Jesus and say, you don't understand. Nobody can look at Jesus and say, you don't get it. You have not been tempted like I have been tempted. Nobody can look at Jesus and say anything about sin or provide an excuse as to why this sin was not, you know, I had no choice in the matter. Nobody can do that. He, he was made flesh just like us. Hebrews 2 verse 14 says this, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. I'm going to read the context of that. I'm going to keep reading. That's Hebrews 2, 14. I'm going to read verse 15. It says this, And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has, has suffered being tempted. Why? Because he's in flesh. He is able to succor them that are tempted. That speaks to us as believers when we're faced with temptation, right? But the fact that he was made flesh to an unbeliever, think about it, and to us as well, reminds us that He became like us so that He could die for us. One who is not in the flesh could never die for sinners. So He became flesh. And lastly, in verse 14, it says this, and dwelt among us. Jesus came and lived where we lived. We had the opportunity to see the Lord in His life. If you ever want to know the way somebody truly is, you just need to go stay, stay a week with them, right? Stay a couple weeks with them. Go to the bathroom where they go to the bathroom. Go to the, go to, go to the place where they sleep, and you sleep where they sleep, and you see them get up and you see the way they are in the morning and you see the way they are at night and you see the way they are when they're grumpy and sleepy and you see the way they are when things don't go right. You see what their priorities are. You see what they do in private when nobody's around. You know, that's what Jesus came to do. In fact, you remember with his disciples, he came when he, when he was with his disciples, they said, where basically in, in essence, where, they said, where dwellest thou? The same word dwelt among us. And he said, come and see. And the disciples literally followed him around. 
They stayed with him. They slept with him. They ate with him. They did every, they, they were given a perfectly clear example because he dwelt among them. They saw him up close. They knew his heart. You know, and you say, well, I've never, I've never been around Jesus. But listen, you have the word of God. Amen. You have the account of all of, of the very people that stood with Christ. You have the account of, of even, even John himself. We're reading the book of John. John himself, you, you think it, it might sound unusual to our ears, but at the Last Supper, he laid on Jesus' breast, his chest. He put his head on Jesus' chest. You say, well, that's, that's kind of weird. That's kind of awkward. you agree? Yeah. It sounds a little funny. It's not awkward for that time. I remember in Cambodia, there was this one dear preacher, one of the, one of the greatest Christians I've ever met. His name is Sakon. And after we had been in Cambodia, got to know each other, we would go to church when I was, we were working with that, that missionary family where he was. He was at church there. And he, um, we would pray, often pray together. On Wednesday night, we'd have prayer time after the service. And uh, we would pray together and it just had really good fellowship and, and just a really, really sweet bond between us. But he would stand in church and especially after we moved out of town and we would come back from time to time, come to church and we'd go to church with them. And he would stand there and talk to me holding my hand, just holding it, just talking, holding. And you would see, you would see Cambodian boys, men, men, grown men holding hands, just straight as an arrow, but you would see him holding hands. And he would stand there and hold his hand. And I, at first it was a little, it was a little weird, <laughs> I have to admit. But over time, I, over time, I understood that it was, a, it was a, an act of affection. This is what's going on with John and Jesus, and this is what the disciples... You see, those disciples, that's why we ought to be so thankful for the Word of God. Amen. Those disciples, you know, you got Matthew, Matthew, and of course Mark wasn't a disciple, Luke was, but their info came from the disciples, right? But you have, you have Matthew and you have John, both of whom were disciples. And they were with Christ. And they, they said, this, will, this is what it was like to be with Him. This was what it was like to hear Him. This was the way He was. And here's the thing we need to understand. The way He was in His incarnation was, I'll just read it, verse 18. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. You want to know how God is? You just read those Gospels, right? Those disciples tell you what it's like to be, to dwell, verse 14, with God. That's why Jesus came. To dwell with us. We could see him and touch him. You say, I've never done that. But you have the word of God. Amen. He has been revealed to us. We know exactly, listen, we know exactly what God is like. He's not distant. He's close. And that extends right up to our, each one of our, the, the need that each one of us has. Each one of us needs salvation. Each one of us needs to be forgiven. Each one of us needs eternal life. And God is close. God is close. He knows we're fallen. Not only did Peter and James and John and the other disciples 
know Jesus personally, closely, intimately, he also knew them, right? He knew all about them. All their quibbles and faults and sins, he knew them. And yet he still loved them. All of this comes from him dwelling with them. The last thing I want to say, and we'll close, is this. Verse 11, verse 12. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. What does it mean to receive Christ? You receive Christ by trusting in Christ, believing on his name. That's not just in your head. That's, that's, like, that's like the senator. That's like knowing the senator afar off, believing in God in your head. Trusting in Christ is personal, intimate. You see, when a, a man or a woman or a boy or a girl believes on the name of Christ, that is what it means to receive Him. You don't receive Christ by being baptized or joining a church. You receive Him by trusting in Him and what He has done for you. Amen. That's, that's what He's offering. This is what I have done. We receive it by believing on His name. You see what I'm saying? That's how you receive it. And it says we... At that moment, when we receive Him, He gives us power to become the sons of God. At that moment, we become His children. Now, I don't know about you, but children, are that's not a distant relationship. That's a very close relationship. We come to know God. Verse number, uh, verse 10, He was in the world. The world was made by Him. The world knew Him not. Now we know Him. We're close. In fact, He will be in us. Verse 13, which were born. Not of blood or of the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. Listen, you don't, you don't get born again because your family, your mom and your dad, your bloodline were believers. That doesn't, it's not passed down through the genes. It's not passed down through the genes. You have to be born again. Amen. And you know what? You can't say, okay, I'm going to get born again. No, you're not. You're going to receive, if you're ever going to be born again, it's going to be, be because you receive the Lord Jesus Christ. And He will cause you to be born again because it's not of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man. There is no ceremony that you perform that man has outlined and, 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 and described and, 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 and prepared and planned that if we take part in, that, in, part in this, we're now born again. No, 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 that's the will of man. We simply receive what God offers us. Christ, come in the flesh, Christ, dwelling among us, Christ, bearing our sins, taking the punishment we deserved, Christ, risen from the dead, Christ, ascended back to heaven, 1 Timothy 3.16. We receive that truth. We received the gift of eternal life that He offers, and He creates us anew. This is a work of God. But the reality is that this, <clears throat> in verse 11 and 12, he came into his own, his own received him not, but as many as received him. You get the impression that this is the exception rather than the rule. Jesus said, straight is the gate. That means narrow. And narrow is the way 
which we leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. That doesn't mean that the way to be saved is hard. <laughs> it doesn't mean that at all. People all the time misunderstand that, the straight and narrow. That's not talking about you, you got you to gotta keep all the rules, and if you keep all the rules, you'll get to heaven. No, it doesn't. It means there are so few people that want to receive Christ. <laughs> because their, their sin, they love it. The darkness, they love it. And so very few people find this gate. Have you found the Lord Jesus? Have you received Him truly? Do you know Him? Or is He far off? Let's pray.